I'll introduce us. My name is Dan Kehoe. This is my lovely bride, Robin Kehoe. Um, Yeah, Brian had asked us to share on our parenting experiences. I want to start off by saying whether you have, no matter what your situation is, you might have just no kids, you might be a soon-to-be parent, you might have one kid, you might be a single parent from a divorce. None of this matters. We're sharing our testimony, what God showed us, and it doesn't matter your circumstances because it's going to apply. Um, we're kind of weird situation because we have nine children, and probably the Kondrakis are the only ones that can relate to us. <laughs> Besides the freaks like us, <laughs> the average person can't can't relate to that. So the. Um, in my introduction, I just wanted to state that, you know, God has shown us how to be humbled and how much, most importantly, he loves us and has, done, has shown us this through our children. Um, but that's kind of how I want to introduce everything, because I think that that's the key, is that um, we're in a relationship with the Lord where we're constantly humbled. And... He's, if we're looking for a way to escape that and be focused on our kids, he's just going to use that to further show us. Um, so with that introduction, Robin's going to share a little bit. So we're doing it twice. Yeah, you, you get better the second time. Is that? Okay, hopefully. Yeah. You can let me know. Although it was great last time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. <clears throat> <laughs> So imagine your brand new baby, just born, in your arms, and you're welcoming into the world, and so happy to not be labor anymore, and uh, what would you say to your new baby? Probably not, I know someone who hates you and wishes that you were dead, probably wouldn't mention that, or ever, but the truth is that we have an enemy. He's the enemy of God. And he really hates children. He hates families. Uh, There is absolutely no good in him whatsoever. He doesn't think your baby's cute. Um, He's not pro-family in any way, in any regard. And especially a Christian family who wants to raise their children in the Lord to know God. Um, we have an enemy who will do what he can to stop that. So you may not want to um, tuck your toddler in at night with this story about their enemy who's out to get them because that's, um, that's pretty scary stuff. Um, but it doesn't make it less true. So how do we teach our children knowing that this is true? In the United States... We are very blessed. We have the freedom here to worship God, to come together, to sing, uh, to read our Bible. You can pray on a street corner if you want to. It doesn't matter. We have a lot of freedom. But in other places in the world, even today, there are places in the world where it's not okay to be a Christian. It's not okay to teach our children to, to proclaim scripture to them and who Christ is, it's not okay. 
Um, so those people in the underground church, that's what it's called, uh, the underground church because they're hiding out. Uh, if you're going to be a Christian, you, you better mean it. And what do they tell their children? Because they can't just keep putting it off. There has to be a time when they tell their little child that we got enemies and um, the wrong person at the door could change their lives forever. They might watch their parents get dragged right on out of the house. Um, Their battle is is serious and it's for real and they're not waiting around to tell their kids about it, I'm sure. So how do we as parents in what we probably battle the most here in the United States is apathy, maybe technology. How do we make that battle real? Because in Paul's day, the Christians were being brutally persecuted there as well. But in Ephesians 6, Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, it's against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So even though they're people were trying to hurt them. It wasn't about people. Their battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against dark forces in the spiritual realm, which means that the battles that we fight here as believers is the very same that they're fighting in the persecuted church. Our battle is, is real. Not believing that we have an enemy uh, makes his job a lot easier. Satan loves apathetic Christians. It's really easy for him. So if it is true, though, then how do we raise warriors? How do we teach our children to be effective believers? God instituted the family for this reason. No matter what your family looks like, we're not all the same, but God gives children to adults so that they can be raised up to be effective believers. So I was reading recently in the story of Nehemiah. I love the book of Nehemiah. It's one of my favorite books. And so much of it is so applicable, even though it's Old Testament and what they were going through isn't the same. It's so applicable to today. So if you don't know the story, let me give a one-minute history lesson here. Um, God chose the Israelites to be his people. And they were in slavery, and he took them out of slavery. And he brought them through a long process to the promised land. He gave them kings. Some were good, some were awful. Um, But he made them his own people. And he gave them boundaries, and he gave them commands, and said, so long as you guys are willing to be mine, I will be yours. And it works both ways. And he protected them. And and they went into battles against crazy odds. And it it didn't matter because if God was with them, they were going to win. Everything was going to be great. But um, being humans, uh, we could probably relate. They, at some point, decided they weren't really interested in God anymore. And they took on... uh, the gods of other nations, and, and uh, they told God, you know, we don't really want you anymore. And so he gave them what they wanted, and he, he removed his hand of protection from them. And that's when the enemy came right on in, swooped in, uh, killed most of them, took some of them into captivity, 
completely destroyed the land that God had promised them. Every house just flattened. Um, the wall around Jerusalem completely destroyed. But because God is so faithful, he had made a promise generations back to his servant David, and he was going to stay faithful to his promise no matter what. And so out of all of that, with all of the people who were killed and, and the destruction and, uh, for the Israelites, God saved a remnant. And that's where the story of Nehemiah picks up with this remnant. God starts to call them back. He calls them back to himself, and they respond. He calls them back to Jerusalem. And so they start, they start moving back in, and uh, they're looking around and think, man, this place is, is really a disaster. We got some work cut out for us for sure. And uh, back in that day, the, the cities would have walls around them, make them kind of like a fortress, and it was their, there was their defense. And they were left defenseless because they had no wall. Their wall was destroyed by their enemies. So Nehemiah got the remnant together, and with the help of the king, they start rebuilding the wall. And if you read in Nehemiah, it gives sections, like specifically, really specific. It tells you from here to here was this guy's job. From here to here, this guy's job. And they go all the way around the wall. And not only does he give the name of the person responsible for that section, but he tells them, this is your family's job, to come in as a family and to fix this wall. So they work side by side, fathers and sons and brothers, and in one verse, a man working along with his daughters. So it's everybody. Nobody was exempt. They work together as families, getting the work of God done. So whenever the work of God is being done, that's when the enemy shows up. And it's true in our lives too. If we're doing the work of God, the enemy's going to show up. So in, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 4, and I'm sorry I didn't get uh, the verses written down. If you want to look, it's, if you start in the center of the Bible, you're probably in Psalms. Make a left couple of books. Nehemiah chapter 4. Um, that the enemy is starting to show up. And so some of the remnant, they come running to Nehemiah and they're telling him what's going on. And in chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and we'll put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they'll attack us. So they're in panic mode here. Clearly, it's a smart mode to be in for this particular reason. Therefore, I, Nehemiah, stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, I love this, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, <clears throat> your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So he tells them, we're going to fight with our families, and we're going to fight for our families. So down in verse 17, he's going to tell them what they're going to do, how they're, one of the ways that, how they're going to accomplish this. It says, those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. I have never tried to build a wall. This wasn't sheetrock. This was 
stone, like this was huge, wide, really tall, massive wall. Um, so they, I don't even know how they did it, but somehow they carried a spear or a sword in one hand and these massive rocks in another. And this is how they went to work. And they had, um, it even says later on, like they never even stopped to change their clothes. They were serious about getting the work of God done. And they were super vigilant. They were always, always working, but always on guard, looking for their enemy. The Bible says that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So this is how we fight with our families and for our families. We never stop carrying on the work of God, which is raising our children to be warriors for Christ. But we do it with the word of God always before us, always in us, and teaching our children the word of God so that it is always in them as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it should be a relief in a way that we are in a spiritual battle because our testimony, which I would not imagine is unlike most of yours, not just from parenting, but personally, is that, you know, we always feel like failures as parents, always. And we do fail a lot, whether we feel like it or not. So when you're starting with that type of attitude, it's really a relief to know that this is more than about us. It's about a spiritual warfare that we're involved in. And it it should give us hope that there's only one way out for that, and that's in the Lord. Um, Just quickly to share probably one of the key things that God has shown um, me as a father is um, how I'm able to ask God for help after the fact. Um, You know, when I handle things the wrong way with my kids. Um, This is probably the greatest hope we have is because we will never exhaust those opportunities when that's going to happen. We're going to respond in an unloving way to our kids. I get angry. I yell. I have to say I'm sorry. Um, But thank God that he has provided a way for us even when we've already made the mistake. We don't have to walk in perfection. And I think of Paul, who's such a great model of what you would imagine a person of perfection and passion is when he says in Romans um, 7.15, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Now, doesn't that sum up a parental thing? You have this great love for your child. And you get done and you're in the midst of this... um, conflict and you get done and you realize oh no that didn't go any way I planned to do it and uh, this replays itself you know in our lives over and over so that encouragement in failure comes because scripture lays out that we are destined to fail when we are in this fleshly body I mean we we are not always able to walk in the spirit that God always allows us to walk in it's just a matter of being in the flesh Galatians 5.16 says, you know, I walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, clearly Paul didn't do that all the time. Um, So it's modeled for us. That's one of the great encouragements about scripture is that 
The expectation is failure with the hope that we have somebody to turn to that we know will never fail us. Um, that's all we can hold on to. We can't look at our own performance. And that's the only thing I'm grateful for. That's one of the most important things I should say I'm grateful for in that God's mercy is there in my relationship with my children. Um, fear keeps me, and I can speak for Robin, fear keeps us uh, from really giving our kids the credit for the amount of grace they have. Um, kids want the right relationship with their parents, and kids know we make mistakes, but I think that our own fears have kept us from really giving them the credit that um, they want to see that demonstrated. They want to see God's mercy and forgiveness demonstrated. Um, so as a father, I can only say with consistency, the strategy that has worked that I can share from our life that has worked most consistently is when I've made a mistake and I've gone to my kids and I've asked for forgiveness. I said, I, you know, I've screwed up. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? <clears throat> because this is something we have to demonstrate in our own relationship with the Lord. And if we're going to teach our kids, it's a very practical way to do it instead of telling our kids, but actually doing it and demonstrating it for them. Um, there's a lot of perfect things as parents you'd love to be able to teach, but unfortunately this one is one that nobody will not get the opportunity to do. And it's really, again, I emphasize a demonstration of where, where God's grace is and where it abounds, and I can really just testify to that. You know, I've struggled with anger as a father growing up, um, I mean, I grew up in a family where we yelled, we were angry, and, and though God has freed me from that to some degree, I've been in situations where I found myself the same way. And again, where it's, there's been times it's been too late. And Proverbs ten twelve demonstrates just this example of what I can say I've experienced as a father. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. And the great thing about that, it, it acknowledges their sin already. I mean, it's covering something where you made the mistake, where you screwed up. And that's the wonderful freeing thing in it, is that I didn't lose the opportunity as a parent because I made the mistake. It's almost the start of God looking to us to say, what do you do now? And then our response to God saying, well, we humble ourselves just like we do before God. We have to demonstrate that before God. So... We're grateful for God's grace that it does cover all the sins, and I can attest to that in our lives, that God has continually done that, and I'm just so grateful for it. Being able to um, illustrate my weakness as a father and dependence on God, I feel like is a major responsibility that I have to teach to my kids. So Robin can share now a little. So we can't expect that our kids are going to live a life that we aren't willing ourselves to model. And of course, we're going to fail. Sometimes really badly. We'll surprise ourselves sometimes at how terribly we just blew a situation. Um, but if, if the Spirit is in us, if we're believers, and, we're, and we're, we're trying to be like Christ, even though we fail, our kids will see evidence of Christ in us and it's their first glimpses of Christ is what they see in their parents so keep on confessing your failures but don't let them keep you stuck forever you have to keep moving forward 
always moving forward. Kids are amazing at forgiving, so uh, use that <laughs> to your advantage because you get to move forward. It's ourselves usually that we hold ourselves back. So at what point are we responsible to teach our kids the way of Christ? When does it really start kicking in? When they're teenagers or... Of course not. <laughs> when they're babies, I mean, the moment you come to Christ, you're... you're um, starting to teach your kids if you already have them or or the moment you get that baby in your hands for the first time it's time to start praying over that that little one and the the thing that's so great about starting with really young children is that their faith is just super awesome it is real and they mean it they really mean it i mean if they pray for something they they fully expect it's going to happen. I remember one time I had just this awful headache and I had been praying like I just can't even function. My head is killing me and um, I should have asked my son. I'm going to use my kid as this. Uh, I picked Alex up when he, that's the one who was right here playing in the middle. He's really good. Um, when he was about two, I said, Alex, pray for mommy's head. He said, Jesus, mommy, boo-boo. And that was the whole thing. And like that, bam, my headache's gone. Just I was like, I prayed all day. And I was like so excited. I'm like, he knows. Like his faith is real. He's two and a half years old. It was a good lesson for me. But, uh, sorry, Alex. (laughs) Little guys, they're like sponges and they just soak it in. Um, That's the time to pour scripture into them and to keep those praise music going, like teach them those songs because those songs are scripture. Sometimes I don't even know that. I'll start reading a psalm and I'll be like, wait a minute, that's a song. I know that. Like, I, I know more scripture than I think I even know. It's a great way to teach your kids uh, the truths of God's word. And then as they start getting older and they start questioning their faith and um, you know struggling a bit more, they have this great foundation that's in them and uh, if they should walk away from Christ you know that they'll come back and and they'll say oh yeah now I I know like I know because my parents taught me when I was little and um, that's always the, the hope anyway so but parenting can sometimes be really hard and sometimes it's beyond hard sometimes it's it's outright terrifying um but if we're walking with God and we're striving to be just like him, then the more we get to know him and see who he is and let those truths become a part of our lives, then the, the easier parenting starts to be because God is perfect parent. I mean, he just screws up never. So if he knows exactly when to extend grace and exactly when to discipline and, and he's compassionate and he's forgiving and he's perfect parent in every way, the more we start to become like him, um, then we can translate that to our own lives and our own kids. Galatians 5, 22 uh, and following, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's just walking with him. So if our goal is to be in step 
with the Spirit, then becoming like him, we're taking on his nature. There's all these fruits of the Spirit that we're talking about, becoming, um, having more peace and gentleness and self-control and all the fruits of the Spirit. So have you ever been grumpy? Have you ever just gotten in like a nasty mood? Doesn't matter who walks up. We're probably going to kick them in the shins. Just No? Okay. Well, I have gotten in some bad moods in my life. And um, when I finally pull myself out of the funk that I was in, I look back and think, well, that was just miserable. Like, why did I do that? Why did I hang on to that for so long? I was not happy. I didn't make anybody around me happy. Like, why do we choose that sometimes? Um, but have you ever met a child who is like that just not that you get in a bad mood every once in a while we do all do that but it's just really miserable and unhappy uh, Proverbs 20 verse 11 says even a child is known by his actions by whether his conduct is pure and right it's not too early to live by the fruits of the spirit um, and to every child And every adult, we're all accountable to the word of God. Just because you're 2, or 22, or 102, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, We're still accountable to the word of God. Teaching our kids to live by the fruits of the Spirit isn't so that we can restrict them. It improves their quality of life, just like it does for me. When I'm actually walking in the fruits of the Spirit, I'm just happier. I mean, it's better. God's way is always going to be better. Always going to be better, no matter what. So those attributes, the fruits of the Spirit, they point to Christ in our lives, but they're also just the recipe for an enjoyable life and a better marriage and, and better parenting and happier kids. Um, life is when you have kids absolutely full of teaching opportunities. They are always present. If you're looking for them, uh, to teaching opportunities to grow in the fruits of the Spirit and to let your kids know, hey, this is the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit that we're seeing right now. And I was thinking about a, a two-year-old who, who's just pulling on mom's sleeve. Mom, 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 mom. I just, ah, I want a drink. And like demanding and... Uh, that, it doesn't matter if their mom's in the middle of a conversation or in the middle of doing a work or doing whatever. Um, that child is just ah, pulling at him. and uh, Even though that's a two-year-old, it's still behavior that is rude and impatient and self-seeking and contrary to the word of God. So what do we do as parents? Teach your, your child, even at a young age, you have to wait. I heard you. But it's not your turn right now. And, and you've seen uh, examples of this, I'm sure, where it could really go either way. You suddenly find yourself with a two-year-old who's thrashing on the floor and screaming. And uh, that doesn't make for a happy mom, and it doesn't make for a happy child. Your child's miserable. But hopefully you've also seen times where a, a little guy is, says, okay, you know, I can wait. I know my mom's faithful. That glass of milk is coming. Just going to hang in there a little longer. And, and um, you know, then you have a, a child who's, who's happy and parents who are happy. And so the fruit of the Spirit, it just works. It really does. Or that five-year-old who, who grabs a toy from their sibling. It isn't showing peace or gentleness 
or kindness. It's a good opportunity right there to, to speak the word of Christ. Or uh, that disrespectful preteen. Uh, it's another opportunity as a parent to teach the word of God. Life is full of opportunities. Sometimes you wish these opportunities would just take a break for a little while. But uh, they're always going to be another one. Especially when there's nine of them in the house. Opportunities abound. Uh, I was thinking about a time a couple years ago. We were at a 4th of July parade. And we had a bunch of our kids with us. And we found a, a spot along the road. And we're waiting for the parade to start. And I and, uh, had this, this lineup of, of Kehoes sitting there on the, on the sidewalk. And we ran into somebody that my husband knows. And um, she had one little boy with her. He was probably about three, three and a half. And um, he, he was a handful. He was running all over the place, and she was just not allowed to have a conversation as far as this little boy was concerned. So try as we might, you know, trying to have a conversation with mom, and it was pretty obvious exactly who was in charge, and it wasn't her. And uh, it was really difficult to try to have a conversation with her, and at some point she stopped halfway through trying to talk with us, and she said to me, how do you get your kids to do that? And, I mean, I didn't think their behavior was really all that exceptional. They're just sitting there waiting for the parade, and I didn't really know this woman, and so I, I didn't say what I was really thinking. But to me, the question wasn't, how do you get your kids to do that? It's, why do you let your child run in the street? Or, you know, like, it's okay to set some boundaries on your child. It's more than just okay. It's actually required of us from Scripture. But the teaching of the age today says that, oh, kids have to be free to express themselves, and you might uh, squelch them with discipline. So, you know, you can't do that. But uh, I hate to, uh, to burst your bubble, but the Bible disagrees. Children are put into families so that they can learn to someday be adults who are responsible and respected and respectable. The world will never be in agreement with you if your parenting techniques uh, follow Christ. They just, they won't. So it's something good to know in advance, I think. <clears throat> but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 and, and 19 says, Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age... He should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. The way that the world wants us to raise our kids right now is foolishness in the eyes of God. Those um, classes that you took in college or, um, you know, Dr. Spock. Does any of you remember who Dr. Spock is? I shouldn't even said that. Now you know how old I am. It's not but, Star Trek. No, not the guy from Star Trek. Um, you know, you can find, you can find a worldly wisdom and parenting techniques anywhere. But the only ones that, that really matter are what's written in the Word of God because they're tested and proven and, and um, they work. So if you're ever at a loss for what to do as a parent, seek the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of even your own parents maybe or the wisdom of the world, uh, the wisdom of your pediatrician, whatever. Seek the wisdom of, of God. We've had many situations arise in our parenting years um, that have taken us by storm. And uh, we've told our kids, we, we're going to get back to you on this. And we go into our room and close the door and then go, what? Are you 
do you have any ideas of what to do? Like, no, do you? No, like, what? I don't know what to do. Um, we don't tell our kids that. But uh, eventually, maybe we do. But the wisdom of God is always available to us. In James 1.5, this is a great verse for parents. It says, if you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, it will be given to him. Mm-hmm. So all you need to do is ask God for his wisdom. And he promises, it's one of the greatest promises in scripture he promises that he's going to give it to you and he gives it to you without finding fault he's never going to say you're back really because like have you really not learned this yet he's he's just so gracious and uh, every time we come to him he is good and he's gracious and he's and that's why he's there he gives us wisdom so i'm going to take the let next wrap this up in the next three, four minutes and just give you the top five struggles as part of our testimony that we deal with over and over and that God has shown us comfort in a way to respond to those top five. Um, if you want to jot these down on the back of your bulletin, there's a, there's a spot for them. There's five. And I'll reference the, uh, the scripture that has been an encouragement to us when we struggle. First one's pride, number one. Um, we all feel like our kids are a reflection of us. Not true. I mean, we feel like that. But that is absolutely a lie. There's no truth in that, that we are not responsible for the decisions our kids make. And um, ultimately, I mean, obviously we have influence in our kids' lives, but I really want to emphasize that um, because it's almost arrogant to think that we have some grand scheme that the God of this universe already has laid out way before we existed. Um, Proverbs 22.6, if you want to jot down that one. Train, up, tr- train a child up in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. When he's old, I mean, that's like not encouraging in the moment because you don't feel like you really want to live in that moment that much longer if you're struggling or dealing with impatience. But that gives you the scheme of our creator and his grace for us that it goes on and on. And that um, with that idea of God's grace and his plans for our children, if you also want to reference Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16, it just talks about how we were formed in, God knew us when we were formed in the womb and he had plans for us before the, you know, before our days. And so as parents, before we jump on this prideful thing, like they're our responsibility, this is our, you know, we're not in control. These children, God has a plan for, and we need, we've taken comfort in that because it's too much to handle. And it's really, in all honesty, too much of a burden to put on our shoulders as parents. Um, So that's the first thing I think that has been a comfort in knowing that God ultimately is the one who has plans. Uh, Number two is self-centeredness is a real struggle. Obviously, even any of them who knows themselves and your own relationship with the Lord, that's hard. And God is always humbling us. But think as a parent, when you're responsible for another life and you're trying to demonstrate um, having a life where you submit to God where you um, admit your wrongs, your sin, and you're asking for forgiveness and you're trying to demonstrate that, that that's a difficult thing. And again, like I talked about in the beginning, we're going to face that day in, day out, day in, day out. And it's going to be ridiculously redundant. But our comfort is in um, Deuteronomy 6. If you want to jot that down, verses 5 through 9. Brian referenced this last week when he was talking about how we diligently 
are to teach our children. Um, and the most important thing that those verses get into before it talks about how we're supposed to teach them is the first verse five. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. That's like a really impossible command because to be effective in teaching our kids, we got to love God and have that commitment to God and be used by God to be an instrument to him before we can be useful to our kids. But God has grace. Obviously, we are useful. I'm just saying that the verse goes on to say that um, you shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and it goes on and on how you're supposed to teach your kids. But the most important part is, do we love God with our whole heart, our soul, and our mind? We have to start there. And I don't know what it's like to raise a kid without knowing God and loving God, it must be very difficult because it's already crazy difficult when you love God and you want to show God's love. So that's point two. Point three on the back is, um, oh, and before I get to point three, I just want to mention, you know, it's not a job either in terms of um, instructing our kids and teaching them. And Megan brought up a good point a couple months ago when she said, you guys did an okay job. You know, our kids were homeschooled up until a couple years ago. And they're like, you know, you had your devotions beforehand. But, but I took it as, man, we failed because we didn't make it a lifestyle. We just kind of made it as a routine. And though that has value, it really convicted me as a, as a father. It's like, yeah, I'm doing all the right things. But do I have that passion and love where I'm making it a lifestyle? So her innocent response was meant to say, yeah, you did a good job, but not really. I didn't take it that way. Um, So it's just a reflection of my heart before God. The next point was um, about our love is conditional. God's love is unconditional. I mean, there's not a lot to say about that. We need the help of the Holy Spirit, and we need God to be a reflection of his love on our kids. And there are people in this world that, the only idea of God they have is whatever they experienced growing up. And that could have been horrendous. But even in an ideal family, we can't demonstrate that love. I I mean, I can't even begin to demonstrate God's love to my kids. So I don't want them to grow up making the analogy of God's unconditional love to the love that we had. Um, And that's that's just a truth in terms of a revelation from God through the Holy Spirit and your own personal relationship with the Lord is understanding God's love. It has to be personal. Uh, The second to last one's fear. We don't fully trust um, God, even though we have actually dedicated our kids to the Lord. We've actually done it ceremonially at church. We make a dedication. But fear can really hinder that, and we still have to live with that day to day. We can say, yeah, I trust you, God, but... Every circumstances that come, we're tested. You know, that love and free will thing that happens, it's tested moment by moment. And we really realize in our hearts that we don't fully trust. Yeah, we trust the Lord, but do we really fully trust him? I wouldn't be carrying this burden. We wouldn't, it wouldn't be as horribly painful and anxiety wouldn't be at the levels it was if we did trust the God who can be trustworthy and faithful. And as Robin had referenced... Uh, and the verse for that is James uh, 1 and 2. I'm James chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, which talks about our trials, you know. And count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Knowing the, the testing of our faith produces patience. That's a hard one. 
But it's the only way we're going to overcome fear if we can trust our God and not look at circumstances, but really know that he's in control. And that starts with our own personal relationship with God in order to carry that over to our relationship with our kids. And our last one is just the um, consistent discipline. I think that's the biggest struggle as any parent. And um, there was a great window we share when our kids were two to five years old. I mean, it was a great time because they responded really well to discipline. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it from them. Great window. Kids, in Robin reference, they're like sponges. They take in so much. And they also receive discipline well in those years. So it's the only other practical advice I think that we've seen great fruit is discipline our kids at a young age and spanking them because it doesn't even become necessary after that. I mean, when they're older, they have other things that are, you know, more punishment to take away from them. But it's a great window, and God has used it as a blessing. And we've never had any of our kids actually say, like, yeah, I was traumatized. That was a horrible year when you spanked us. I mean, (laughs) none of them said anything negative. So it, it has its role, and Scripture even supports it. Um, and the reason we, I've, I kind of wish we were more consistent is just because, you know, it, our heart is sinful, and we always look at ways why we don't have to obey God. And just like kids and their parents, we don't want to give them more reason to think, is this really legitimate? Because they're not even consistent here. So it's that mistake and that grace that God shows. He can still use it with us, but we still have to admit our shortcomings before our kids. Um, so really just the one statement to wrap this up is that, you know, it's never too late for where we are in our relationship with God, whether we've messed up, um, which also leads to, it's never too late to, um, heal our relationship with our children. As long as we're first putting our relationship with God, I don't know how to teach this as someone who doesn't love God and want to be used by God. So I don't, it would be a different type of practical parenting. And I don't even know what that would really look like. As I mentioned before, it's hard enough. So if that's the one takeaway, just know that it's, it's our relationship and love for God and commitment that he's going to use us to be able to show his love that we're not able to show to our kids. But we have to be used by God. And, and God has remained faithful in that way. And I think our kids would say we've done an okay job at, at attempting to let God's love come through despite us getting in the way. Amen. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate you letting us share.